to our latest Exploring British Biathlon podcast with me, Elizabeth Winfield. Today I will be joined by Simon Briley, where he will be giving his personal insights into becoming a professional athlete. Simon, please tell us a little bit about yourself and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, hi there, Liz, and uh, hi to the listeners of um, British Biathlon Explorer. Um, so my name's Simon Briley. Uh, I've been involved in... Um, for about 30 years now of experience within the endurance sporting world. Uh, my main experience is within the triathlon world, ranging from the short course sprint distances all the way up into the Ironman distance. And now I'm actually partaking in a bit more of a, the crazy stuff, the long endurance days and challenges all over three days in particular. Um, having raced as, uh, in my earlier years as a junior elite, um, I, I grew up in Africa in itself, but I did get the opportunity to go to attend uh, several world championships on the elite circuit. And then um, a little bit later on in my career, as late as 2015 to through to 20, the end of 2017, I was a professional athlete racing full-time and training full-time on the Ironman circuit. Um, I was lucky enough to be a resident within Cyprus, Paphos area for the good weather for training. And um, I was, uh, yeah, lucky enough to be able to be out there in a, in, and put in a good effort to my professional racing um, career in particular. So kind of for the past 15 years, I haven't only been involved within racing, but I've also um, been involved in running my own coaching and consultancy business. Uh, which is basically uh, also based around uh, consultancy of athletes and teams and working with brands within those athletes and teams and uh, as, a, as a brand management uh, or athlete management aspect. Uh, as I say, I've been you know, lucky enough to have traveled the world and been involved um, in, in the, um, the, the limit of, of where I've you know, stood on the start line and, and said to myself, well, I'm here in the best shape I possibly can. But I've also been lucky enough to be able to train and race with some very talented athletes uh, out there and been involved in their own individual pathways and the, and the likes of my own pathway through the 30 years of, of triathlons. Uh, what, that's been involving within the mentoring of, of athletes. Um, so going into a little bit of um, uh, management where I'm negotiating contracts for sponsors, um, but also I've, I've been involved in the coaching side of things as well. So coaching on, on a day-to-day basis on pool sides, um, on track sides, out on the bikes, and even on the indoor scientific lab testing basis. I had the opportunity to work with the Junior Regional Academy for British Triathlon here in the Eastern Region. I'm based in Norwich area, Norfolk. And um, that was all the way from the Talent ID program of selecting those that were good enough to meet the criteria to get into the program and um, follow them up and towards uh, European Championships. And some of them were, were talented enough and successful enough to make the podiums within that. So quite a vast array of... of, of um, aptitudes of, of working within the endurance world um, from different avenues, different hats, if you want to call it that. No, wow. It's, I mean, it's a real privilege to have you with us. Um, so I suppose coming on to biathlon, um, in the UK, it's a pretty unique sport. Few have grown up on Nordic skis or even roller skis. So most transition into the sport that little bit later. Uh, yes, they may have different sporting backgrounds. We have a number of military athletes as well. Um, but how can they accelerate that journey onto a performance pathway? And 
I suppose, become a professional athlete? Um, that's, that's a great question, Liz. And obviously everyone would love to be, you know, they admire watching on, especially with the Olympics coming up and obviously Paralympics uh, preceding that in a few years' time. Um, the sorry, the the Winter Olympics, excuse me, which is more relevant towards biathlon. Um, that they obviously emulate those that are what we would call professional athletes. Um, now, the term professional athletes is is very open to um, uh, termination in itself in, in um, of the definition. Um, but through the years and the different individuals and myself racing as a professional, it's looking at an individual who's been playing a sport, um, they are playing a sport for a living. Um, fundamentally, they need to, if they are full-time as an athlete, they're looking to cover that uh, cost to live um, by the sponsors or by winning, um, obviously, podiums and, and events where there are some cash prizes, um, but not in all events and all sports in particular. But they've achieved that top standard and they choose to um, they choose to continue to train to get better, to get faster, to get smarter within their own performance itself. So the professional athletes are those potentially who have got a little bit of natural talent and um, uh, obviously within the endurance world, stamina and competitive drive, uh, determination, grits and things, which are kind of almost a human nature things. But then we also need to look at how they would be developing them to become a better athlete as an overall package. Um, most of our professional athletes are potentially, depending on the sport in itself, have come, kind of come through the amateur ranks. Um, and but the majority of all of our athletes play a sport for the love of it, for the joy of it, um, you know, to kick a ball about or to run or to swim or bike or ski or shoot. It's all very challenging us as, as human beings, but we do it for because we love it. And as soon as you take that fun aspect out of any sort of sport, it, it starts to become a little bit too too focused but then that may be the area that we're working on to get better as individuals in itself um however unlike you know amateurs um professional athletes yes as i said already they need to look at maybe earning that money to make a living um we, we may touch on it a little bit further on through the conversation but we're you know um I was, a, I was a professional athlete, but I wasn't earning a full-time salary from my sponsors or from the winnings of the, of the events. Um, there are some sports, like uh, particularly golf and, and um, on the individual side of things, um, tennis, which do pay quite healthy and quite wealthy amounts of prize money within the, within the competitions. Um, I'm not sure where it stands within the biathlon side of things. I mean, Liz, is there, is there, can you win money within biathlons? Uh, yes, and there is some uh, appearance money, but um, th that's when you move up the ranks. At, at, the, at the point that our athletes are at right now, um, it's not sufficient to um, to go full time, if that makes sense. Sure. So we're there actually looking at, like I was, I was running my own coaching business and I was involved in sporting tourism in Cyprus. I was also coaching athletes remotely or they were coming out to me in, in Cyprus and training camps. So I was earning my, my keep my, uh, with another job. And that's where potentially most of the biathletes are looking. They're either potentially still at school 
um, or university, or they're in the army, or they're working a nine to five job in particular, or even maybe shifts uh, within, within itself. I used to be in the fire service when I was training kind of in my mid-career. And so I was working shifts, four on and four off, and that gave me a structure to be able to do that. But we need to earn our living somewhere else, um, not rely on parents <laughs> too much or rely on partners in particular as well. Um, so the, the money can be a low within the industries, as you've already shared, within the biathlon side of things. And if you're up at that area, it's very few people that would be benefiting from those contracts with the sponsors and um, having to live off their own, their own budgets in itself. Um, so, yeah, definitely is something which uh, the, the terminology professional athlete um, would need to be seriously considered of how far you want to take it and how far you potentially can go within the sport and what you need to do to juggle and make that balance happen. Yeah, I think in endurance sports as well, it's a very difficult balance, isn't it? Because the hours needed to train um, are vast and trying to strike that balance between employment or education while still training in such demanding sport is difficult. Have you got any thoughts on how you can successfully achieve this or is it just personal sacrifice and, 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 and making it work? It's a very fine balance between both of those avenues. So initially, um, so I, I've got two boys, uh, an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old. Um, my wife, I've been married for 20 years. So I, when I, um, you could say she married into my sport <laughs> um, or married me into the sport. Um, I, so it, it's, as you say, those sacrifices, they come at different times for different emphasis. For example, if you are potentially um, two or three weeks out from competition um, within um, any sort of endurance sports, you're starting to look at that, focusing on the, the sharpshooters, you know, getting, um, I, I'm going to show my ignorance here in the biathlon side of things, but maybe just working on some of your transitions, control, breathing um, uh, techniques. Um, you're working on things which don't take a long time to develop necessarily like vo2 max or like endurance so therefore you're going to be a lot more focused for a shorter period of time when you get closer towards events so you have a little sit down with your family and you say to them look can you bear with me just for this i've got a big competition coming up i'm really focused on this how does that work on a daily basis? Well, um, today I've actually been on my bike. I know I'm not training full time or racing competitively, but I've already been on my indoor bike um, and I was on it at eight o'clock in the morning. And now I've got the day ahead of me. It sets my day up. So I've got my training out the way. I've done it from when I need to get rolling in, in itself. I used to be up at 5 a.m. Now, in the, in the swimming world, um, you, you know, if you know of any swimmers out there, they, they are in the pool at half past four, half past, uh, 5 a.m. in the morning. And then they are back in the pool in the afternoon um, or the evening in itself. So it is sacrifices. There are some sacrifices, not only for lack of sleep, but we need that quality as athletes and human beings. Um, but it's a balance and sitting down with either your family or with your employer particular and just saying, can we work around this? Can we be more flexible? In the employment world, there is flexibility. There's a flexible working contract that you can arrange and you can request from your employer and say, I'll come in at seven o'clock, I'll get going, but I, can I leave at half past three? Um, today. Um, School-wise, sometimes if you are obviously uh, 
lucky enough to be selected and talented enough to be going through a certain program, you can approach the school uh, with your parents or even with the association's support, a letter of recommendation saying, please, can you excuse so-and-so from afternoon lessons to go to training because they've got European championships coming up or they're trying to qualify for the British championships, you know, or, or et cetera, things like that. So if you don't ask, you'll never know. Um, but it is a sacrifice. There is comes, comes that point of that, unfortunately, you still need to get up and go training. And it could be the early hours of the morning, um, it, not necessarily late into the evening, but it could be um, going from one place to the next quite quickly and eating on the go, recovery, drink or something like that in between. It's a, it's a very fast moving dynamic lifestyle, definitely. No, I, I, I agree with you. It's it's certainly a challenge. And I mean, hopefully this is one of the positives that come out of some of these um, lockdowns and, and what have you. We, we've gone much more digital now. So actually being able to take your your work out with you or your, your schoolwork out with you may be an opportunity because a lot of the challenge for skiers is you can't necessarily do it from your front door um, because there's no snow in the UK. Um, <laughs> that said, there's lots of roller skiing and what have you. But I'm hoping that this digital world allows people to find that balance that little bit easier. Um, but the, like you said, it's absolutely a challenge. Um, so I suppose the next question is we're, we're sort of running a number of talent camps and you, you loosely mentioned about this natural ability. And, and is that enough? How do they make up for this? lost time on on snow and and how do we we nurture that uh that natural ability um during um during selection and uh, and then into their performance journey absolutely great i mean this is a very hot hot topic within um the coaching world or sports performance in particular um it, you know someone who has got a natural ability we talk about Lionel Messi or Ronaldo um, and, you know, or David Beckham, you know, that natural talent right from the, from when they first were seen kicking a ball at the age of, well, you've even heard of about babies kicking a ball before they can run or walk. Um, that natural ability is great to have. Um, but then there's also how much can we nurture that person who has got that high end natural ability to bring into the, you know, the coaching, how can we support them as coaches and bring them through that? It is a little bit easier. Now, please don't obviously start to categorize yourself. So the listeners here, you know, don't say, well, I have natural ability, but I may not have, um, I may not be coachable or I may not be more open to being able to get the performance out of myself. So that's what we call nurturing, you're nurturing someone. It is someone is, is, um, uh, showing potential within the, when you're talent IDing someone within any sport, the person that you're going to work best with as a coach is someone who is, dedicated committed and potentially not got that raw natural ability um but then also you're going to have someone who does have natural ability and actually says well look i'm really focused on this i've been highlighted in this program i've been selected and i'm going to start to develop and i'm going to listen and soak in what i possibly can off any sort of association support or coaches or that um simulation of training whilst we can't get onto the snow uh, in particular what what is available to us um we can all develop our like vo2 maxes or muscle um, uh, composition or our skeletal in itself these are our these are kind of our natural um what we've been born with in in particular 
However, we can all take on board how we can improve them as we get older. So a lot of the junior listeners may be thinking, well, okay, I want, I strive to be in the next 10 years um, on the elite circuit, on the World Series, possibly racing on the biathlon side of things. It's a great smart goal. It's a goal and we're, you're, you're striving to achieve that. You're putting together a, a structure of how do I get from there today and potentially build upon that program in particular. Now, I believe that your, your um, talent ID program or the development program is working towards 2030. Is that correct? Or um, is that was that the idea? Yes. Was that? Absolutely. So we've just created the, uh, the BBU 2030 strategy um, with that long term vision. The talent campaign sure. actually is looking at, um, at twofold. One, developing, you know, um, grassroots um, British talent that will come all the way through the system. But there is also aspects of talent transfer, uh, maybe from other nations, maybe from other sports um, that would maybe accelerate them into the programme that little bit quicker as well. Absolutely. So, as I say, you know, it's not going to happen overnight and everyone recognises that. It is something which does develop. And the association is its fantastic to hear this in any sport. You know, when an association says we're doing a development programme, we're talent IDing and we're working towards supporting getting more people involved within the sport itself. It's, it's so exciting just to hear what, you know, when that's launched in particular. So as athletes, I think that everyone should jump on board of this and really, really encourage if you know someone who may be interested in it and really get them involved in it um as we say we may not have the natural ability i've never skied in my life liz okay but i'm even excited about the program i may even give it a go myself um but it, it's it's more of the fact that you may have that unique interest and that unique ability um we talk about the you know the east african runners um in the world they are they're, they're built for that kind of middle to long distance uh, ability that natural ability possibly because they live at altitude as well but then i think scientists and coaches and developers have always been trying to look into why are why do they make such a better um, long distance runner than um, someone from England, you know, a European runner in itself um, on that aspect. There's that natural ability and the, also where they live in, in, in their environment. They even looked at the foods, the staple food that they eat in particular. But with athletes um, that I've coached and I've mentored, I reinforce the work ethics, the mindset. And we, we yes, People have got that God-given talent, um, that natural ability. You're born with it. But I believe that with the coaching um, uh, programs, with the talent ideas and the developments, if, if they embrace it, the gifted athletes, um, it, this can push them to the top of the you know, to, to the, the top of performance in particular with relative ease. However, that becomes then also adds into the influences of the dedication the commitment the sacrifices there's a such a fine balance that takes them from that neck from this stage to their next stage of performance and it's what we call the long-term athlete development um, they starting in at grassroots um, they've been really enjoying that they're having fun now they're starting to think well hang on a minute maybe I have a little bit of a talent here um, what do I need to do to take the next steps? And that's what the association is providing with this program initially, just to give them that structure. Yes, we agree. You've got a bit of talent there. Let's let's try and start to support that and facilitate that in particular. 
And then it goes from that. How do I train to, um, to perform? How do I, how do I get better? Do I need to go out and do, um, uh, um, roller ski, um, more often to build my endurance? Do I need to get in the, in the gym to do some strength, do some core at home? Um, you know, all sorts of different areas of learning how I can improve my, um, what I call the five S's within when we look at a coaching program, the strength, the speed, the stamina, the skill, and the suppleness, and that will increase your fitness. Um, and, you know, not just relying on that natural giftedness. So there's a lot of considerations that I kind of mentioned here, but it is more of taking that journey, being part of that journey, taking it in small bites and just approaching it one by one rather than trying to dive into it because we will lose interest if we potentially jump in it too quickly. You'll get demotivated because one training session may not go very well. You may get, um, you may not meet the criteria to make the development program. You may not meet the certain um, markers to qualify to go to Europeans or um, your shoot accuracy um, uh, ratio may not be up to scratch, but your, your VO2 of your skiing is, is you're a lot better at skiing than you are at shooting. It, this is the arts of the sports to then sit down and actually say, right, well, how can I work on this over the next six months? What is my goal for this six months? I'm going to start working on some accuracy, some breathing techniques to control. So when I come from the ski to the shoot, I'm controlling. When do I squeeze that trigger? Uh, it's all about that mindset as well. There's other things that you can train about, not just the physiological, but also the psychological aspects in itself. Um, so, yeah, really exciting uh, how and where individuals can look at where they can go through the program all the way up to, right, I'm now training to win or I'm now training to podium. And that's the top end of the aspects in itself, um, which, you know, anyone can do at any age. If you are at that level, have you gone through that process of getting up to there and that you now start to have a little bit of tactics and you approach it from the, what we call the small margins, the marginal gains to get yourself to the podium? No, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad you're excited by it because certainly uh, the BBU are excited to be launching their first talent campaign. So we, we've not done anything like this before, but we are looking at how we can uh, attract new athletes into the programme um, at quite early age and then, and then develop them. A lot which keeps coming up is this, um, this fine balance we keep talking about. So working on the training elements of fitness as well as developing the mindset and the ability of the athlete to stay positive and focused throughout. Because if we're capturing them slightly younger, you know, how do we keep them focused and motivated through this, uh, through this development program? And it would be interesting to hear from you. So what, what can we use to help focus the athletes um, and aid them in this development? Um, it, it's it's what I call the CPRs. Now I'm not talking about lie down on the ground and start doing compressions, um, <laughs> chest <laughs> compressions, or mouth to mouth resuscitation. CPRs is a is is a an abbreviation that I've used um, within uh, mentoring athletes and also coaches actually as well. Um, so mentoring uh, through the aspects of how do we break that down? Now the CPR, the, so the C. Um, it stands for consistency. I'll come back into these and, and, and indulge into them a little bit individually. Consistency is the C. The P is performance. 
and the R is representation and the S is support. Now they're not in any um, set order or preferential order in particular. So let's just go back to this consistency. The consistency is, this is, as we've already mentioned, this is talking about the periodization, the training, the regular routine. Um, every Monday, I know that I get up at 6 a.m. Every Tuesday, I get up at 10 a.m. You know, maybe you swap it around, but stick to that regular routine. The goal setting, every uh, at the beginning of every off-season and at the beginning of every season, you should sit down, whether you are with a coach or you're with someone who can aid you or, or talk to you, parents even as well um, you can sit down and you make a, a pact you make an agreement with each other of a goal of what's your goal goal setting is really really important I use the business structure for goal setting uh, when I'm looking at the, the goals with with my athletes for the season coming and that um, business approach is what we call a smart approach so specificity measurable achievable realistic and timely that's what the smart stands for in particular they use that in business um, development as well but this is within athletes you as the athlete so you're looking at am i training to do skiing okay where can i go and do skiing that's the specificity side of things if i'm swimming if i'm training to do swimming or a swimming event i need to get in the pool and swim um, that's looking at that measurable. So um, how how am I going to measure this? Um, how many hours am I doing a, a week or a month or a distance wise? Um, what what am I measuring my um, my goals? Are we looking at um, the for example the distance? I, I believe in biathlon you have a, a sprint event and and then a longer event. Is that correct? If yeah, I'm, absolutely. Oh. Okay, so um, are we looking at that measurability of am I just focusing on the on the sprint events or am I going to be looking at the, even the team events as well, you know, slotting into the team events side of things? Achievable. That's the biggest question, which we would all very easily answer on our own. But then when you ask someone else, do you think this is achievable? That's why a coach is really good or a mentor is, is really good to actually speak to about that they will be more honest than we would as individuals. Is it achievable? Mm, yes, it is achievable. I can be at the Olympics in um, six years' time. Okay, so Is that achievable, depending on where you're at at the moment? Realistic, that's the next big honest question in itself. Um, is it a realistic goal? Are we, a, are we setting it realistic here? I want to run a marathon in April. Say London Marathon was on this, this April. I want to run a marathon in, in April. Um, which is only uh, four weeks away. Um, is that realistic? No, it's not. Okay, so that's really how harsh that conversation is. And then timely is uh, the length of the time in itself. So that's the consistency. We're looking at training, periodization, goal setting, working with the coaches, having the contact with the coaches, with the sponsors as well, if you are involved in any sponsorship. And yes, mum and dad are your sponsors, okay? So having those conversations with mum and dad, who are your sponsors? Can I go to this race? Can I go to Switzerland and do this event over here? Well, no, because we can't fly anywhere at the moment. Looking at race organizers, contacting, making a contact with race organizers, you know, getting to know them. The amount of race organizers I, I know within the UK, with the, here in the, in the UK for triathlons, uh, is is my little black book and I can all I used to be able to ring them up and say is um can I come and race at your event and they would be more than happy to 
if you're at that level, they may even put an invitation to you. Um, I didn't get any appearance fees um, here in the UK, but I did overseas and they asked me, you know, a couple of races to come. They actually contacted me and said, can you come and race here? So having that good race organizers contact so that if you have a question about an event, whether it's going to go ahead or not with COVID and et cetera, you can pick up an email and you can send them over and you can say, hi, it's Simon here. Um, hi, Liz. Um, it, are you going ahead? What's going on? And they, they'll speak to you very honestly and very openly, which is fantastic to have that good rapport. Training locations. This is fundamentally one of the biggest things. If you have contacts um, with, who have got locations where you can go and um, jump on a flight when we're able to just quite quickly and go out and you've got a little B&B there or you've got a little hotel which you can cheaply go and stay in and you know you've got access to the slopes or the ranges and you can go and train there, that's fantastic. So the consistency of building up all of this rapport and opportunities to get you to the best, the best condition, in the best condition on the start line for your events. Performance. Um, I'm going to go through this quite quickly because this is more down to what coaching programs and you're actually doing. However, we've just touched on it just now. We haven't been able to get to those uh, slopes, the snow. I think we had about three days of snow, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, well, in Norwich we did, but it was a decent snow, but not skiable snow. Um, so you know where where can you go and train skiing if you're looking at that improving that specificity um technology is a huge huge impact upon any sports these days so we've got dry slopes or even simulators i'm not sure if you i've seen a couple of youtube clips of someone doing a downhill super g or something on on an indoor ski sliding from the side to side with a big tv screen in front of them uh, you know have you got access to something like that for a cross-country side of things have you got like a ski treadmill available they're expensive a lot of things like technology heart rate monitors really really simple cheap thing to get from argos you know for 20 pounds and this will improve your training mechanisms in itself the wax the type of wax you use in your skis the skis themselves clothing all sorts of things Scientific testing labs, as I've mentioned already, improving your VO2 max through that. The big one now at the moment is HRV, um, which is a lot to do with stresses and lack of sleeps and, and strains. And us, uh, certainly as human beings, especially within the COVID lockdown situation, that has kind of been brought into the bit more of the scientific testing and, and monitoring in itself. Um, and then looking at those principles of fitness, uh, which I mentioned, the five S's, speed, stamina, strength, skill, and suppleness. So we move on to the representation, which is the R in the CPRs. Representation, um, I, I may, this may cross over towards the support side of things, which is the S in the CPRs. Um, so I'll kind of cross-examine these in, in particular. So representation, I'm talking about you as an individual. How are you representing yourself? How are you representing yourself and your sport and even your family name as well? Um, your association. I'm sure that um, we, uh, the, that, um, we as athletes are, would like to be represented. Um, we as human beings would like to be represented by the governments you know, or the associations in the best way possible. And it works the other way around. So the associations, the BBU, is expecting you as an athlete to be representation of their sport um, out there. And I mean, the biggest thing is social media these days. What type of things are you posting on Instagram? How are you presenting yourself as an individual? 
are you you may get the outspoken athletes here or there um this used to be kind of a little bit more of a um what we call the smackdown talk type approach um you you've seen it in the beginning of the 100 meters um finals you know people doing little dances or talking to the crowd getting the crowd going um maybe they've got a little bit of rivalry against the person in the lane next to them um this happens definitely within the triathlon world before the Hawaii Ironman championships every year there's a lot of little it's a bit of banter but it can go too far sometimes so just how are you representing yourself as as Simon Briley out there on the platform on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter? Do you have your own YouTube uh, account? Is it something that you would like to launch and do a little video diary of your own journey through the development program? Maybe you've been selected through the BBU development structure and you want to get, you know, track, um, displaying your journey through that. A little bit more higher on the performance is media and press and conference. So press conferences in itself. How do you sit at the table? It's just really simple things, which if you present yourself in the wrong way, not only will the public pick up on it, but also the media will actually pick up on it. It's brand representation. It's the sport representation. And this comes back to also the supports. As I said to you, they do link in together, representation and the support. So the support from your family from your employer we've already spoken about that flexibility how can you how can you approach your employer to give you a little bit more of flexibility are you openly able to have that conversation with your partner with your mom or dad with your brother or sister um you know with your sponsors if there's someone who's given you a hundred pounds to go and i don't know to to um to fly to Switzerland for a training location or something like that. It, it's, it's really important to keep that support really close to you and keep on top of it. If you do have any sponsors, keep them updated with your journey. Let them know when you're having a bit of a bad time. You're not asking for sympathy or anything. It's just actually saying to them, you know, here's my expectations of what I was getting as a sponsorship on my contract. But um. I, th this has come about. I'm not able to travel. I'm looking to try and wait for the next opportunity to get overseas, to travel, to go to these events. I believe that some of the, the, the GB, um, BBU athletes have had opportunity to get to some last um, end of the season um, events. Is that correct, Liz? Yeah, so at the elite level, we've been really lucky that um, the IBU has continued to put on some uh, incredible events, actually, and um, all within COVID restrictions. And so there's sure. been challenges, but um, the guys have um, had a number of opportunities at, at that level. So that's fantastic. And that's what I mean about the support is those athletes obviously spoke to the BBU and then the BBU addressed that because they knew that there was going to be some issues, not because they had to, but because um, if we want to keep the elite guys racing out there and keep the sport alive, we've got to do everything that we can do. And obviously we're, we're sharing all the difficulties that we have at the moment. So that's how we can improve not just from our physical side of attributes as individuals and give ourselves that best opportunity we talk about that fine line but to sit down and kind of like tick off these um, opportunities and to say yes I've addressed that yes I've looked at my consistency of of my training and my regular contact with the coach I've been doing some dry land exercise I've been 
um, holding a plank for 30 minutes, which would be incredible. I think my son, my eight-year-old son, can plank longer than I can at the moment. And he's got up to about seven minutes, I think, So, <laughs> which is quite impressive. <laughs> um, but it's 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 all of that consistency then you're looking at your performance okay when you do get a chance to perform out there and be on the start line what have you done to get to that journey some things take longer to develop what can you develop how can you develop them um and then your representation what are you doing are you doing your own little live facebook videos during lockdown i know that hopefully as we say, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We are starting to evolve and schools are back next week. Um, and, you know, it, things are getting there. It's so positive and it's such a, an inspiration to us all just to be looking at how can we embrace this opportunities, the opportunities and make the most out of them rather than finding a little corner and, 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 and hibernating for the whole of the lockdown period in particular. Um, the supports that is where you work if you don't if you can't see how or you're struggling with how to sit down and look at the goals and the consistency the performance and the representation the key aspect that i would suggest to you is look for the supports if you don't ask you're not going to find you're not going to get any help and you're going to it's going to be a big struggle by yourself i'm very happy to receive emails from any of your listeners um, very happy to kind of um, give a little bit of time um, uh, within my within my day just to respond to give some pointers. I'm very happy for you to put up some show notes if you want to, Liz. Um, obviously, for people to kind of like, um, or oh, what was that about, or or you know, what were we talking about in structure? No, that's that's really appreciated, and I think this consistency, performance, representation, and support. There's there's kind of a golden thread through all of that, which is communication um, between a whole raft of people that you spoke about there and also about building this network it's 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 vital across all different strands uh, but they were the two things I really picked up on when you when you were talking about all of them areas communication and network um, and also I suppose seeing feedback is a as a gift rather than a critical thing you know how do you use that how do you say focus how do you use that feedback to make some really positive changes in the in the way forward and to overcome some of the challenges and and this season has certainly been challenging um in lots of different ways so um no it really hits home all of that that you've been talking about and i, I just want to say an absolute massive thank you for sharing all of this with us today and it's been really great to have your insight into what our new talent program can expect and how they can embrace it, I think, is is the key bit that you've really drawn out. CPRS is not something I've come across before, but I, I think it really gives athletes a, a tangible way to apply and use um, use it to develop on a journey with us, which is, which is great. So thank you again for your time. It's, it's really appreciated. Pleasure, Liz. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I wish everyone all the best. You know, stay positive. And um, uh, as I say, if, if anyone did want to get in touch with me, Liz would be able to share those details um, to you. Absolutely. Thank you.